0: Welcome to our podcast from the Episcopal Diocese of Central Pennsylvania as we explore the way of love, practices for a Jesus-centered life. I'm Audrey Scanlon, the Bishop of Central Pennsylvania, and it's my privilege to interview people from around the diocese on how they're practicing and living into the way of love. The seven practices of the way of love as we know them are to turn, learn, pray, worship, Less, go, and rest. And today we have Alyssa Pasternak Post who is joining us to talk about the practice of learning and how it has drawn her closer to Jesus. So, welcome to you. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Just to begin, would you like to introduce yourself to the folks who are listening?
1: Sure. So, my name is Alyssa Pasternak Post and I am the mother of two fantastic uh, elementary-aged daughters Mm -hmm. and spouse to my husband, Jeff, all who are accompanying me on this way of love. My daughters would want me to mention that I have two cats. (laughs) (laughs) For my work, I minister among children, youth, and their families at St. James Episcopal Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I have been for three years leading godly play and family liturgies and youth ministry and all sorts of things. In a prior life, I studied at Catholic institutions and Ignatian and Marianist traditions, and all of
0: this before being received into the Episcopal Church five years ago on the Feast of the Visitation. Great. We are so, so glad to have you here. I think I remember I was at St. James the very first Sunday that you were there, and uh, so I've known you the whole time you've been here in the diocese. Yes, yeah. It's great. Well, if you could talk to us just um, broadly about the way of love, I'm interested in how some of our congregations have been practicing the um, way of love in our diocese. There are lots of different resources available and, and lots of creativity as well. So how is St. James stepping into it? Sure, thanks. Um, I
1: like the framing of the question, how are you stepping into it or how are you living into the way of love, it reminds me that where you know, on a journey, in process, not uh, finally at the the end of the way of love, but Mm -hmm. on the way there. So there have been some ways that St. James has taken up the explicit framework of the way of love and played with a bit. Sometimes it's in simple ways, uh, like the blessing of the backpacks last fall, Forma had made available like the the backpack tags. Mm -hmm. And so we Mm -hmm. picked up on that with the baptismal language and the shell because that's also a symbol of St. James. Or in Advent, our adult forum series picked up a couple of Sundays specifically on the Way of Love and a couple of Sundays on becoming the Coming Beloved Community as a way of introducing the framework to the parish. Mm. And then more recently, and a little more in depth, our Daughters of the King did the quiet day, the Lenten quiet day following, right. using specifically the resources. And they joined with the chapter of St. John's York for this quiet day at Lancaster okay. Theological Seminary. And they were praying it at the same time as daughters in Honduras. Mm. So there was this fantastic international connection as well. So those are some of the uh, specific ways that we're using the framework and some of the resource that had been made available uh, through the Bishop's Project. Um, More, though, the living into, as I reflect upon it, happens and. Uh, different ways that sometimes seem isolated, you know, like Mm -hmm. one particular practice. Mm -hmm. But really, if we look at it as a whole, they're informing one another and circling back to each other and building upon one another.
0: Yeah, one of the early instructions we got was that this is not a sequential or linear set of things that we need to do and then come out at the end in some sort of (laughs) factory-processed way. Uh, but for me, because I'm preaching about the way of love almost every Sunday, mm. I've had to memorize them in order because I can't get them all confused. Sure. Um, the, one of the things that we know about the way of love is that it it is a rule of life mm. and uh, quite a spacious rule of life that allows us to interpret and play with the different um, practices. So I'm wondering... Have you had a rule of life before the way of love? My guess is that you probably have, and if that's true, how have those intersected or bumped into each other or actually been synthesized in your in your life? Sure. So
1: it's helpful for me to think of a rule of life as um, like a signpost or a railing, a, a guide, um, less a rule, a strict rule to be followed, but really a guide along the way towards Jesus. So something that's gentle, that's turning me towards God, little by little each day, to help me become who I am. My first intro to the rule, the idea of a rule of life, is actually from the rule, and I have it here, the rule of St. Benedict. Mm -hmm. I was taking a 400-level undergraduate course in action and contemplation at Wheeling Jesuit. And for a two-week period, my professor assigned only the prologue to the (laughs) rule Yeah, it's only three and a quarter pages long. Right. So when you talk about learning, this is like nothing that every day our professor just assigned this three-page mm-hmm. prologue to the rule. Which begins with the word listen. It absolutely right? does. Listen carefully, my child, to the master's instructions and right. tend to them with the ear of your heart. Right. Yes, listen, that first invitation. I think the, the professor had had some connection to the Benedictines at some point, and he really wanted us to... Have that experience of letting our heads sink into our hearts hmm. to you know be with the Word of God to meditate on the Word of God, to ruminate on the Word of God with a master you know Benedict who right. whose writing is just interweaves and plays with scripture in the prologue there are nineteen different scripture references mm-hmm. alone, and I still you know, several years later remember them you know it's not to us, Lord, not to us, mm. but to your name, be the glory um that was the introduction, but your your question asked me kind of directly, do I have a rule of right. life? And um, reminding myself that I'm sitting across from my bishop and it's Holy Week. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't want to um, pretend to have this well-formulated uh, rule that hangs above my bed or something. Mm, mm-hmm. So not any formal recense, uh, sense have I taken a workshop or a retreat on writing a rule of life. However, there is something that came to me Originally, when I was in a different season of my life, the season that immediately precedes this present season, I was staying home with my daughters in West Virginia when they were, this was when they were uh, just three and not quite one. Wow. And I was overwhelmed with the demands of parenting really Mm -hmm. little children and lacking sleep and selfhood and feeling like I was not at all progressing in the spiritual life Mm -hmm. or the professional life. Not only could I not pray any type of regular routine, which I was accustomed to doing, or journal or study scripture, I couldn't even eat when I wanted to eat. That's right. (laughs) Or sleep when I wanted to sleep.
0: (laughs) Or sleep in your own bed. Or sleep by by yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or shower, if I wanted to shower. These basics. And it was during this time that I came across uh, some writing from one of my heroes, Dorothy Day. It was a book I had had. I've had this book. I have it right here. I've had it for 20 years. It looks like an old, well-worn book. But I rediscovered her writing, and in it she talks about, this is her journal from 1948, Mm. and she talks about taking a break from the Catholic Worker House to go and help um, her daughter
0: with new children arriving, so to be a grandmother. So let me just interrupt you and say that there may be people who don't know who Dorothy Day is and her connection to the Catholic Worker House, so share just a little bit of background about her.
1: Yeah, so Dorothy Day is the uh, founder of what is known as the Catholic Worker Movement, mm-hmm. which continues to this day. Um, there's probably one here in Harrisburg. There's one in Lancaster. I mean, the spirit of it really is picked up yeah. in, all throughout our country. And it uh, was founded, um, you know, on mercy and justice, really. The works of mercy and some of the early um, urban settings were taken care of, mm-hmm. people who were hungry, you know, very basics. And then um, Catholic worker farms, like in West Virginia, which would have had a different feel to say the ones in New York City. Yeah. So uh, Dorothy Day died the year that I was born, uh, 1980, and mm. I've just been inspired and captivated by her life, um, all of mine, but particularly these works of justice and mercy that she took on, and um, you know sometimes had her in good favor with bishops, and sometimes mm. had her maybe not so much. So so I w- was reading her writing, and I came across this writing about her um, taking a pause from that, what I considered really important work to do what at the time, truthfully, I found to be not as important work, you know, tending to young yeah. children. And um, she describes what I have described for you, barely having any time for prayer or for study. And so she writes about... Um, Brother Lawrence, the 17th century Carmelite who comes from the desert tradition and his teaching on the practice of the presence of God. And I'm going to read from her just for a moment. It cracks me up every time. She says, I wish I could get away from my habit of constant undisciplined reading. (laughs) (laughs) But in the family, one certainly is cured of it. If you stop to read a paper, pick up a book... The children are into the tubs mm-hmm. or on the sewing machine drawers. And as for praying with a book, there has been none of that this lint for me. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is interrupted, even prayers. Since by nightfall, one is too pri- tired to pray with understanding. So I try to practice the presence of God after the manner of Blessed Lawrence. And she writes uh, more, um, another point she says... You know, meditations for women, these notes should be called, jumping as I do from the profane to the sacred over and over. Mm. But then again, living in the country with little children, with growing things, one has a sacramental view of life. All things are God's and all are holy. And so this simple notion of practicing the presence of God, which means that whatever I'm undertaking, I can undertake with the end goal of the love of God in mind. So I can wash cloth diapers again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can wipe uh, cement-like oatmeal off my 10-month-old's face Mm -hmm. again. I can play that puzzle one more time with my three-year-old again. Mm -hmm. And I can undertake all of that with the idea of the love of God and, uh, and in that then be progressing. You know, another point she says, you know, women need to know that they are progressing, that this yeah. that this work that they're doing is holy. And I found such consolation in having, particularly that it came from Dorothy Day, and that it was uh, this sense of practicing the presence of God that I could be doing as I was right. washing dishes or whatever I was doing, you know, barefoot in my backyard, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. playing in the sandbox, mm-hmm. whatever it was. So I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think rules of life um, come from these uh, disciplined, you know, committees and leaders who formulate something that can we can hold on to and maybe do in a sequential order, like you were saying as you've been mm-hmm. preaching, but mm-hmm. also kind of interweave and uh, double back on each other. But then sometimes I think rules of life just come to us as we need them to be those guideposts along the journey to help us become who it is that we are. At least that's how it is for me.
0: <laughs> One of the things, that, as you're talking, you're reminding me of the rule of Benedict, because doesn't he say that the garden hoe is as holy as the chalice or, or something? End. I'm maybe paraphrasing a little bit. But that struck me when I started studying Benedict, oh. uh, that there are sacred moments in the everyday it's been my lenten discipline as i carry around a little notebook stopping on every hour Mm -hmm. to look around and and notice the presence of god in no matter what i'm doing um and it's usually not sitting in my chair praying right (laughs) so i think that's so important well, I'd love to talk with you about the work that you're doing at St. James, and we invited you here specifically to talk with us about the practice of uh, learn because one of the things that I love about the work you're doing through Godly Play is that it's it's a practice that incorporates both um, intellectual or developmental learning along with um, physical learning. It's Montessori-based learning that includes a lot of wonder and mystery in it. And so it's, um, when we say that one of the seven practices is to learn, there are many of us who go immediately to textbooks and, and picturing ourselves studying. And godly play offers us a really different kind of way of learning about who God is and who we are as God's beloved. So tell me a little bit about what you're up to at St. James with Godly Play and how you got there. So St. James has been doing Godly Play, I think this is the end of our
1: sixth year. Mm -hmm. So this precedes my time there. Um, And we do Godly Play in various ways. we have our regular formation time, you know, all age formation time, so we have a room designated for godly play. We're privileged to have that space that tells the Christian story simply by the materials and the way that it's organized with the Holy Family at the center and you know, Advent and Christmas on one side and Lent and Easter on the other and the sacred texts all around. So we have that particular children's program where the children are invited in to cross the threshold, Mm -hmm. to gather and build the circle of children, to hear the story, wonder together, and create responses to that. Since we only have a 45-minute time, we don't do the feasting um, component during that. And then in Children's Chapel every Sunday, I also incorporate in um, a story related either to the season. We've been doing the Faces of Easter since it's the season of Lent right now. Mm Um, or a story about the saint, or a story, if we're lucky, that aligns with the lectionary page, uh, the lectionary um, revised common lectionary for the day. Um, so that's a couple of the children's spaces, but I also try to find ways to um, bring it in with adults. So any time that I can during, say, a family liturgy, this week is Holy Week, so Monday, Thursday, I'll tell a piece of... The faces of Easter, so that parents mm. also are seeing and being exposed to this way of telling stories and wondering with it. We've also used it in adult contexts as well, just solely adult contexts, such as um, uh, meditation times with teaching on Tuesday nights. We've done a couple mm-hmm. series using Godly Play. Um, I've presented at vestry retreats and other um, adult times, just to invite and encourage adults to also experience this. Because it isn't, as I've experienced as a spiritual practice, it isn't just for um, children. It really is a practice for adults.
0: So how did you get started with godly play?
1: So um, seven years ago, when I was living in West Virginia and home with the girls, um, I was working super part time at my Catholic parish uh, in doing children's ministry. And one summer, my family went to Baltimore to visit my dear college friend, who's godmother to my oldest daughter. She was living in the Philly area, but we went to Baltimore to her parents' house to get all of our kids together. My girls were three and one, and her daughter was two, so we had these three tiny, adorable little children, um, and her parents were so gracious to welcome us. Her mother, uh, Rini, had been a Catholic elementary school teacher and founder of their preschool and deeply beloved. She just passed away in January, Mm. three months ago, and the celebration of her life was tremendously moving. Earlier this month, the city renamed the street in front of the school and next to the building, Miss Rini Way. Oh, that's great. And her husband said, we should all try to live Miss Rini's way, which is, of course, the way of love, which is the way of Jesus. At her funeral, her husband noted how many Reini stories he was suddenly hearing. You know, he had been married for her, to her for like four decades, and all of a sudden, he's learning new things about his wife, mm-hmm. new stories about how she touched someone's life, living as Jesus lived and loving as Jesus loved. So this is one of my Reini stories, actually. Um, when Reini learned that Saturday morning uh, seven years ago that I was doing children's ministry, she said, you've got to see our Catechesis of the Good Shepherd Room, like, ah. now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we postponed swimming in the pool that morning, and I hopped into the car, and we went to the church and school. And being that it's, you know, in Baltimore City, an urban area, the Catechesis Room was actually in the basement of the rectory. Mm. So there we are on a Saturday morning knocking on the priest's door <laughs> 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 with Rini wanting to bring, a, you know, this stranger in to see the Catechesis Room. And she took me to what was a dingy old church basement, but in it I found the most fantastic program, the most fantastic mm-hmm. materials. Mm-hmm. And I knew right away that I wanted that for my daughters. So we went back to West Virginia, and I went to my parish, and uh, again limited on space, I cleared out an oversized closet and set up my first catechesis with the Good Shepherd room. Um, catechesis, I should say, predates Godly Play, so it's also a Montessori-inspired program. I mean, catechesis more directly related to It's Maria. Is it
0: Italian? I forget
1: Maria. So Sophia, yeah, Sophia Cavalletti. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Sophia yeah. Cavalletti. Um, so I, you know, set up this t- tiny little room and invited all of our three-year-olds to come and participate, and we tried it for a year and. It was lovely. You know, we played the whisper game, and it invited them into miniature altars, Mm -hmm. and I just loved it. But the community wasn't quite on board with it. And this is really important when setting up something like Godly Play or Catechesis of the Good Shepherd because it is an investment in time and space and finances. And as it turned out, I wasn't going to have the space to designate, Um, not even in the basement of a priest's rectory. (laughs) So um, about the same time, we had been exploring the Episcopal Church, and we went uh, one Sunday, six years ago, to um, Little St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Marietta, Ohio. And I had met the rector before, um, but this was the first time my family went. And, of course, they were thrilled to see a family, right? Sure. <laughs> my kids were two and four at the time, you know, of course. And the rector said, well, at, you know, during mandatory fellowship hour, my rector said, uh, well, let me just show you the children's space. And he took us upstairs, and there it was, a godly mm. playroom. That the community had established, like two decades? All set up. They established it two decades before when the priest wanted godly play for her family, for her children, and had gone to Indianapolis to be trained with Jerome Berryman himself. So there it was, just waiting for a young family to revive. And I began after that the slow process of relinquishing my work at the Catholic parish and um, Mm -hmm. being more Sundays in the Episcopal Church. Mm and that's where I got my start, you know? That's incredible. <laughs>
0: well, we're all lucky. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, yeah, save a bust. Yeah.
0: I'm wondering if you could tell us, you know, the the goal, if there were a goal, I guess, of the way of love is to um, help us develop a, a closer walk with Jesus and to to find ourselves. Of course, in the, in the practice of turn, turning daily um, to accept Jesus and to, to welcome him into our life. I wonder how you've experienced either um, your work with Godly Play as, as, a, as a mode of learning or any of the other steps of, of the way of love. How has that brought you closer to Christ? Sure. Um, you know, in some ways, all of the steps are
1: bringing us closer. Mm-hmm. But I think it's helpful for me to talk about godly play, in part because it has been such an opportunity for conversion for me. You know, as we were talking, mm-hmm. you know, my background is, you know, is in, you know, study, you know, kind of an academic study. And so there has been this unlearning and relearning that godly play has um, been a conduit then of coming to know God and follow Jesus a little mm-hmm. more, um, I think from the heart, a little more honestly. And so um, one of the things about Godly Play, it reminds me a little bit sometimes of Lexio Divina and the way something, as you know, I'm telling the story or we're wondering together, something kind of bubbles up. Mm-hmm. Something sparkles, something mm-hmm. shimmers, something, you know, I, I, someone says something and I'm offended by it. And I'm like, wait a minute, why am I offended yeah, by what the yeah. child just said or that adult? So. So I have experienced in in that practice of telling, almost like Alexio Divina style, um, you know something surfacing and wondering why God is bringing this to my heart and um, what is God inviting me to in this particular um, word or you know material. Um, and also in the the spirit of play too, that happens with the children, there's there's this invitation, which my own children do, too, to take less life a little less seriously, mm-hmm. you know? And so it is called Godly Play. So mm-hmm. um, this past, uh, I guess it was two Sundays ago, I was telling the story of the parable of the deep well, yes. which comes yep. from rabbinical literature, actually, yeah. So, so the kids were fantastic. You know, they noticed right away that the box does not look like a parable box. It's not gold. It doesn't have a circle yeah. on it. <laughs> it's a different <laughs> shape, you know?
0: What is this? You're
1: uh, Right. Well, and one of the children said, "It's tall and it's fat." Maybe it's a story about all the stories, and in fact, it is the yeah. parable of all the parables. So we, you know, we set out uh, the underlay, and it's, you know, it's a brown square mm-hmm. and dark brown square, and it. Uh, and someone says it looks like a brownie. <laughs> it does, and then someone else says, "It's dirt. It's dirt. It's it's dirt from the sower. You know, really adamant that this is dirt from the sower parable, and then and then another child says, "No, it's a pile of manure," <laughs> and I'm like. Seems inappropriate. Well, oh, it is Lancaster <laughs> County. And his parents are <laughs> farmers. Excellent. Like, so it is, like, totally appropriate, yeah. even though it feels like maybe it wouldn't be because we're in the chapel. Sure. But there's uh, there's this just openness to wonder that, you know, when presenting, those kind of responses don't come from adults. It they're not saying, oh, that looks like a brownie I had for lunch. But this past Sunday, I was telling, because um, you specifically asked, how did this bring me closer to Jesus? And I had this moment this past Sunday, which was Palm Sunday, mm. in telling the faces of Easter story alongside the City of Jerusalem story, and the faces of Easter story is are cards with uh, faces of Jesus, images of Jesus from each stage in his life, and you present it vertically out from the presenter, the storyteller, mm-hmm. and so I began by you know holding up the card of the baby Jesus. you know, In the beginning, the baby was born. God chose Mary to be the mother of God. And in our circle that day, we happened to have an eight-month-old. So we remembered that once yeah. Jesus was a baby, like the little baby who was mm-hmm. sitting on the lap of her father right there, and remembered that the parents held the baby close and kept the baby warm. And then I presented the 12-year-old Jesus um, in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. in the temple, teaching um, the rabbis as they listened. And we had a 12-year-old in the circle, so we remembered that once Jesus was 12. And the next is the 30-year-old Jesus, baptized by his cousin John, wow. and he goes down into the waters and comes up, and there's something like a dove that comes near to him, and some hear a voice that says, this is my child, my beloved. And of course, the parents in the room are about the age 30. And then we present the card of Jesus in the desert and um, him learning more about who he was and what his work would be. And the card that follows is his him doing his work to draw close to people. Mm-hmm. It's him healing someone. And at that point, I paused and turned to the city of Jerusalem story, which is the story of Holy Week, Jesus' last days. And I first had a globe. I'm like, okay, friends, we live here on earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here is Pennsylvania. Over here is Israel. And then I had a topographical map so we could find Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Nazareth. And then we have this flat map of the city of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. And so we're building the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Um, we're placing the temple the pools inside and outside of the city, the stairs because Jerusalem is the city built on the hill. And then we come to the upper room and we remember that Jesus took bread and said, this is my body and took wine and said, this is my blood. And that that place right there on our map was the first time that was said. And there's a card for Faces of Easter, so we hold Mm -hmm. up the card too. And then we trace his way outside the city to the Garden of Olives to pray. And then back inside the city to the House of Caiaphas and to the Tower of Antonia and to the Herod's Palace and back to the Tower. And finally, the Via Dolorosa, the Way of Mm -hmm. Sorrows, outside the city. And at the cross, I hold up the last faces of Easter of Card, which is the crucified Christ, you know, Mm -hmm. sad Christ. Um, But we remember that when the women come and bring myrrh, and I had little myrrh incense, Mm -hmm. or uh, I had essential oil actually that Mm -hmm. day, so we could pass around and smell it. But remember that when they went to the tomb, there was an angel there who said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. <laughs> and we flipped a card, that final card, in the faces of Easter. And on the other side um, is the resurrected Christ because our sorrow mm. becomes joy and new life. And so I sat back <laughs> and I let out an audible sigh because mm. right, there, right there it was, you know, right. the incarnation, right. Right. the hidden years the child Jesus, the baptized Jesus, the public ministry of Jesus, those final days where at each moment, kind of like in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, mm-hmm. at each moment we're asked, do you love this Jesus? Yeah. Will you follow this Jesus? And and there was something about sitting there and holding that whole space and that sigh of like, here it is. This is, this is where we are. And behind me is You know, in St. James Chapel, we're in St. James Chapel. Mm -hmm. So behind me is that giant crucified Christ and the beautiful blue wall. And as we were wondering about the story, about what we liked best and what is most important, the children began to notice that there was a beginning to the story Mm -hmm. and there was an ending to the story. But actually the ending was a beginning, the new life in Christ. So we took the story and we arranged Jesus' life in a circle. To show that for every beginning, there's an ending, and for every ending, there's a beginning, and that actually we are in that story, too.
0: That's fabulous. Isn't it
1: fabulous? And that is all happening, you know, with people age eight months to 40 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) off to the side of the main event happening, you know, in our sanctuary this Palm Sunday, but profoundly on our carpet (laughs) yeah, in the circle of children. And this is one of the ways that I've come to experience you know, God and be blessed by it, you know, blessed by the community that gathered that day, blessed by the story and the materials itself. I mean, these are very simple materials. I always get a little bit embarrassed because I'm like playing with felt and crying, you know, or or a little hand-painted, you know, sheep and realizing how anxious and fearful I can be. But yeah.
0: Long before Godly Play was born, um, I was a Christian educator yeah. <laughs> in the dark ages. Right. And during Holy Week, I would carry around with me a big, heavy wooden box. I think I got mm. it, gotten it at Pier 1. And inside, I put elements of the story. Of, I mean, it was long before Godly Play, you could buy those things <laughs> or, or make them. Um, but I assembled my own set of things and told the story and passed the objects around the circle and the reverence and the wonder with which those kids handled those objects, um, especially the crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody mm-hmm. wanted to grab grab too hard onto that. But I still have that, mm-hmm. and it sits at home in my office and reminds me of those days when when the story was still so spacious and mm-hmm. allowed for a lot of wonder mm-hmm. and personal connection, and it, and it still does for me, but the, the privilege of being Opening that to people is so great. Right. So, well, I have one final question to ask you, and it's um, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but maybe not in the spirit of godly play. If Jesus were to walk in here into our studio right now, what what words would you like to share with him, or or story or ideas?
1: I hope Jesus remembered to show up today. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the Faces of Easter story that I was describing, the second card is that 12-year-old Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mary and Joseph said, why did you do this? (laughs) Right. But it says, the script says that when Jesus spoke, uh, the priests and the rabbis listened because he knew so much. Mm. And I would hope that if Jesus did show up, I would maybe pause to listen, (laughs) 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 to sit at the feet of the (laughs) master, maybe. (laughs) Um, But also it said that when the priests and the rabbis spoke, he listened because he wanted to know more. So if Jesus were here and I were wondering with him, I would um, you know wonder what part I like best about uh, godly play. And I would share, as I've shared some about um, you know how i'm never I never cease to be surprised, you know when you open that box, yeah. how the spirit is going to be present. And the ways that move me to tears or, mm-hmm. you know, bring me closer to God and that slow, slow turning towards Christ. And I would say that um, the part that is most important to me is the presence of community, you know, mm-hmm. the presence of the children or the adults as we are together encountering Christ and being drawn together towards God. And the part that I would tell him that I would leave out, yeah. <laughs> you kind of alluded to— <laughs> Uh, These are the standard godly play questions, as a Mm -hmm. side note. The part I would leave out is all the lugging of the story materials. Oh, yes. (laughs) Because I lug them. (laughs) They are not light. And I lug them from the second floor of the parish house over to the chapel, two doors down, every single Sunday. So Mm -hmm. I would would leave that part
0: out. It's good for your biceps.
1: (laughs) Great, yes. And particularly the desert bag is enjoyable, right? Yeah. And I would tell them the part that is about me. You know where are you in the story? Mm-hmm. We ask the children. Mm-hmm. Is this journey, you know, walking along this path, the way of love, stumbling really? Yeah. On my way towards Christ. Yeah.
0: That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. It's Go been really to. great to hear your story and to hear about the work you're doing. Um, I'm so glad you're with us. Thank you. Let me close with a prayer. Um, This is the petition from the Way of Love Intercessions for the practice of learning. Jesus, your life, death, resurrection, and ascension inspire the church to continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Guide your people to learn your word that we might see God's story unfolding in our midst. We pray, guide us in your way, the way of love. Amen. Amen.